This episode of Modern Bonsai is brought to you by Bonsai N's online bonsai shop. If you are after quality tools that will last a lifetime but won't break your bank, then head to www.bonsaien.shop. That's bonsai-en.shop. Browse our premium online store and experience the Bonsai N difference. Shipping to Australia, USA, Canada, United Kingdom and Italy. What's up modern bonsai listeners? Today we have Robert Pressler from Kumura Bonsai Nursery in California joining us to share some of his experience in all aspects of bonsai, from running a nursery to being a president of a bonsai club and much more. This was a killer episode to make, so sit back, relax and enjoy. bar you call it in america uh yeah they call it a bar here pub where we spawn the pub might be a bit early for you to be uh at the pub though hey uh not in australia you'd be surprised (laughs) 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 it's it's happy hour for a lot of people here okay (laughs) as soon as the sun comes up and they can see where they're going All right. Well, for us, this is a, a holiday weekend for most people. So uh, I think a lot of people are probably the same here this weekend. Anyhow. Oh, OK. So what, what's the, the holiday? Uh, it's not it's Memorial Day, which is supposed to be to memorialize, uh, you know, veterans that gave their lives in wars for us. Um, that's what it's supposed to be. What it mostly is, is the unofficial beginning of summer. So. Most people um, don't give a thought to the veterans. And, um, you know, this is like the first weekend where everybody breaks out the barbecues and the parties and hits the rivers and stuff like that. And the stores are all full of sales. So it's like the first um, unofficial beginning of the summer, basically. All right. And from what I understand, the schools have a fairly big break at the start of summer. Oh, this. In the start of summer, yeah, they get, um, most of them get, I guess it's like two months off now. It used to be longer. We used to get like three months off. Wow. From, yeah, from like the beginning of June, maybe until the beginning of September was summer break. Now it's a little bit different. Some places go year round with, you know, just a couple week breaks here and there. Some places still get most of the summer off. Yeah, so. that's crazy what you give to be a kid again, huh? Oh, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and my birthday's in the middle of June. So there was a couple times during the school year, especially once I think it was my first grade where the last day of school was my birthday. Yeah. So my mom was like, well, happy birthday, Bob. Here's your birthday present. You got the whole summer off from school. And I believe that that was my birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty crazy that they get so long off. Um I mean, we get through throughout the year here. The kids get two weeks here and there um, at about every quarter, and then I think they get about six weeks at the end of the year for Christmas. Oh, okay. Probably makes more sense that way. Um, yeah. Instead of giving them like one big old chunk of time off to just like 
run wild and forget all about studying and all. I mean, it's fun if you're a kid, but I think probably it, it's more sensible to do it the way you guys do it. Yeah. So for the listeners and the fans out there, do you just want to give us a little bit of a background on, you know, Robert Pressler nowadays, and then we'll go back a little bit further and dig a bit deeper. All right. So, um, Obviously, I'm Robert Pressler. Um, I own Kimura Bonsai Nursery in Northridge, California. Northridge is a, um, a part of Los Angeles. We're out in what's called the Valley. Um, so um, things are a little bit, temperatures are a little bit warmer here in the summertime, a little bit cooler in the wintertime, and prices are cheaper for everything, yeah. which is why I'm in the Valley and not like in the center of town. Um, I'm also the president of California Bonsai Society, which is, I believe we're the oldest bonsai club in America. Um, if we're not the oldest club in America, we're the oldest English speaking club in America. Yeah. Um, after the war, there were a couple clubs that were formed that were totally Japanese. Um, all the members were not just spoke Japanese, but were born in Japan. And those clubs have kind of faded away over the years. But um, California Bonsai Society was started by John Naka and several other people that um, got together after World War II, after they were all in, um, what did they call them? Uh, internment camps. Oh, yep, yep. Um, yeah, really kind of a black stain in American history. But these guys all got together and um, decided to create a club that actually invited Anglos into it, which um, at the time was kind of unheard of. And I think it's one of the things that caused the, back in the day, there was a big rift between some of the people in the Japanese bonsai community and um, John Naka and his group. And I think a big part of that had to do because they wanted to open it up to more people. But yeah. um, so it's a, you know, pretty old club and it used to be a really prestigious club to belong to um i remember when i first joined you had to be invited to join by a current member and you had to show um a gallery of i think it was seven or ten trees and there was a committee that had to approve them and um over the years that's changed and now the club is kind of open to anybody yep. but the whole um the whole concept of the club has changed too. It used to be, I don't know how clubs work down there, but um, here what most clubs do is they have basically a once a month meeting and they'll have a demonstrator, usually somebody local because most of them are pretty low budget. Um, and they'll have, you know, they'll do a demonstration or a lecture or a talk and then they'll have a raffle that's filled with you know stuff that club members have donated or maybe the tree that was worked on the demo. And um, after a while, it kind of gets a little bit repetitive. You know, you got, even here in, in the Los Angeles area, we have a bunch of clubs, I think maybe 12 between Santa Barbara and San Diego, which is a distance of about 200 miles. Um, but, even then, after a while, it kind of gets the same old, same old. You know, when there's 15 or 20 demonstrators between 12 clubs, 
you kind of know what's going to happen when you go to a meeting, right? You know, yeah. Like everybody has seen such and such person do a raft, or everybody has seen me do a tamarisk, or you know. So um, when I took over as president of CBS, one of the things I wanted to do was change up the way we do things. Um, a while back, we stopped meeting every month and went to meeting once a quarter, mostly yeah. because our membership was the average age was probably 85. Yep. Um, the membership was really old and um, it was hard to get to the meetings and stuff. So they stopped the frequency of the meetings. So I decided that since we only meet four times a year and since we had a pretty decent budget because we never really spent any money um, over the years, we, um, we could bring in artists from around the world and share them with other local clubs. And we're lucky here in Southern California where the third week of the month, there are five clubs that meet in that week on different nights. So I bring in a get you know a guest artist the third week of the month four times a year, and we share them with five different clubs. So five clubs get the benefit of having an artist that they would otherwise not be able to, because uh, nobody could afford to fly somebody in from. Just recently, we had Yana uh, Keegan from Belgium. Oh, yep, yep. Just a couple of weeks ago, so um, you know it's a it's a big plus for us. It's a big plus for the Bones Lake community here. And what I wanted CBS to become was um, kind of a, an organization that would benefit the Bonsai community. Another thing we started was a, the Ben Oki Scholarship, which um, since this isn't live, probably won't go out in time. But if you have any uh, way of putting it out on social media, there's still two or three more days to apply for it. Yep. And it's open to Bonsai practitioners around the world. Yep. Um, yeah, we give away $2,000 scholarships every year for somebody to study bonsai. Okay, cool. Um, it's, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, how often do you hear somebody willing to give you a thousand bucks to go study bonsai? Yeah, not um, very often. And, <laughs> not too often. Yeah. So, and it kind of surprises me that we don't get like hundreds of applications. I mean, we get a few, we get, you know, more than a few, but, um, I don't know. I would think that people would jump at the opportunity. It's not like we're asking much in return either. We ask that um, they write us an email explaining what they want to do with it and you know what, where they're going to study and whatever. And then we ask that they give something back to the community, either do some demos, teach you know with what they learned, or make a video, or do a podcast, or, or you know something along those lines. Yeah. So it's not like it's it's real difficult to get. So, um, and, but if anybody's interested in that, you know, they can go to the um, California Bonsai Society website, which is CaliforniaBonsaiSociety.com and um, get an application in the next couple of days. All right, cool. I might try and get this out ASAP then. That way, you know, people can jump on that opportunity because like you're saying, it is, it is a rare thing. And especially if you're, you know, in the, in the position that you can do that, because I know that, you know, for me, I'd love to go to japan and study or actually you know what i'd probably rather go to beyond and study at asan <laughs> um just because i feel like what he does is what i connect with a lot um which is probably really close to that 
Japanese model of bonsai anyway. Um, it would just be a lot easier, I think, with a native-speaking, you know, English-speaking person. Right, and, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that way. yeah, right. Um, um, but you know, you know, in my situation, you know, I run a bonsai nursery here, and you know, I've got you know a partner, and um, you know, we've got a six-year-old. Um, we got animals, <laughs> so, <laughs> life. <laughs> basically, yeah. So just packing up for six years and going to Japan is not not exactly an option. So no, um, and you know it's funny because um, just before I got my nursery, I was actually considering that and was kind of lining up the uh, opportunity to go to Japan and study, and then I got the opportunity to buy the nursery. And uh, there was no way I could do both. So this is what I did was take over the nursery and um, wouldn't want to change things now. In hindsight, I I wouldn't want to change things um, because this has given me an incredible opportunity to share something that's a great passion of mine with bunches and bunches of people. Yeah. Um, You know, having the nursery. So... um, and there's no guarantee that, you know, even if you do go to Japan and you spend the six years, which, you know, it's not guaranteed because lots of people don't make it. Yep. Um, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to make a living afterwards. Well, that's it, you know. I mean, but hopefully you do, but you never really know. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, it seems like a really good idea, but I don't think it's for everybody. And I'm always impressed with somebody like Bjorn or Ryan that has done it and completed it. Yep. Um, yeah, well, ho- hopefully moving forward as Bonsai continues to grow, all all these opportunities that we see, um, hopefully there's more doors opening because, you know, at the moment we need more growers and we do need more Bonsai nurseries because I've seen time and time again where, you know, people online they get suggested oh where do i buy material and people say we'll find your local bonsai nursery and they go well i don't really have one anywhere near yeah, or it's 500 miles away <laughs> that's right and you know and hopefully we'll have more hands-on educational um you know places that we can go to learn because while we have you know beyond with his bonsai U platform and obviously ryan with um Mariah, um, bonsai empire's got courses um, we have cor- online courses here at bonsai N, and we have zoom sessions and stuff but nothing beats that one-on-one time you know hands on the tree you know hands on the equipment this is how you do it seeing it right in front of your face right i tried during the pandemic i tried to do a, f- a few um, zoom classes and it was really really difficult for me i it just didn't work for me um doing demonstrations is easy you know i mean you're just basically working on a tree and remembering to talk what you're working you know about what you're doing yeah but trying to do a class by zoom was really difficult yeah you can't feel things you can't feel how big the branch is how much it'll bend or not bend um so yeah i think that it's important for bonsai to continue that every part of it becomes more accessible from the education point to the nurseries um and part of that i think a lot of that actually 
revolves around education. Yep. The more people learn about it, the more they realize exactly what it is and the more they get that good material costs, t- takes time and money. Yep. You know, cause a lot of people don't understand why a little five gallon, you know, they think of a five gallon plant that they see in a nursery, right? Yep. Um, you can probably buy a generic five gallon shrub in, you know, big box store here for 25 bucks. Yep. But what it is, is a generic plant in a pot. You know, it's never had any root work done to it. It's never had any pruning done to it. The trunk is usually just either straight or flopping around all over the place. Yeah. And then they come to a bonsai nursery and that same size plant might cost $75. And they're like, why so much? Well, because for this, you know, the seven years or so it's taken to get it to where you can sell it for $75. You've been root pruning it and watering it and trimming it and shaping it and, you know, staking up the trunk. So the trunk gets some shape to it and, you know, a lot of work that goes into it. And most people don't understand that when they're starting out. Yeah. And if uh, you were to take that plant and calculate the cost of the $75 over seven years, you're working for like five <laughs> or 10 cents an hour. Yeah, probably. Um, I try not to do that because it's depressing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and even when you, you know, you go beyond that, you sell sell one for $750, you know, still, you know, if you um, figure it out, it's probably still the same five or 10 cents an hour. Um, yeah. I try to offset you know. that cost. I try to offset that cost with the enjoyment, you know, I got, I, I try to think, well, you know, I'm lucky yeah. I get to work on all these trees. and Yeah, I mean, it's a cool thing to tell ourselves. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it is. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't give up what I do for anything. I love it. And I love doing it here because um, I think I have a better opportunity here to, A, make a decent living at it, but also to share it with more people than I would in a lot of other places. Yeah. Um, you know, Los Angeles in particular is a, a place that's all about, you know, we're basically a desert. You wouldn't know that if you were walking around here, but um, <clears throat> people are really into their gardens and really into plants and trees and stuff here. And um, there's always been a bonsai community here. And there's always been, you know, a decent amount of mis- business for. I think there's seven bonsai nurseries in the greater LA area. And, you know, we all do. Okay. Yep. Um, So that that's saying something, you know, because there's parts of the country is where there's seven States and there isn't a bonsai nursery in all seven States. Yeah. So, um, but it's a, you know, it's a tough thing. And um, the more we educate people about it though, the better it is for everybody, the better it is for bonsai, the more people learn, the better bonsai they're going to make. Um, the more they learn, the better bonsai material they're going to make, which means that bonsai nurseries can afford to produce better materials. Yep. Uh, and on down the line. Yeah. So, um, yeah, education I, to me is key. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how much of a challenge it is to run a bonsai nursery because it takes years and years and years to develop material to what you could consider to be decent material to work with even if that's still just nursery stock but nursery stock that's you know had some decent work done in the tashigari and 
had some, you know, Nabari work done to it. It's had chops and taper work done. And, you know, this work takes years upon years upon years. And then it takes about 10 minutes to sell that tree. <laughs> so you got to have this constant year over year turnover of, okay, those trees are going out on the bench. There's new trees coming into the growing area, you know, two year trees are moving up to three year trees and they're getting their work. And yeah. It's right. just, and if you miss something in one, one of those years, if one year you don't take the cuttings, you know, to start them out or, you know, buy the seedlings or something, then you get all screwed up. Yeah, that's you know? right. So, um, yeah, it does. It takes a lot of work. Um, and I don't think most people understand it. You know, they, they just don't understand it. Um, yeah, that's Until why, they get educated a little bit. Is uh, People ask me all the time, you know, oh, how do you grow this from seed or that from seed? Or, you know, do you grow this from seed? And it's like, I, I really don't bother because the, the time, you know, especially at the the rate that we're trying to turn things over, um, you know, to get trees to people. I think cuttings and air layers um, for us is a little bit more, um, you know, time saving, I guess you could mm -hmm. say. Um, I mean, you can get, you can get big bags of seeds for less money, but once again, if you calculated that time that went into them. Um, right. The, from a, you know, from a seed, you know, you got three or four years equals a cutting yeah you know may, maybe you know and some stuff you can take much bigger cuttings on and air layers opens thing up even more yep um, we used to be able to find procumbage junipers here in older nurseries like in 15 gallon cans with bases the size of a, a baseball bat yeah you know inside trunk and you know four or five feet tall on a stake staked up and one of those could provide a thousand cuttings yep. and a hundred air layers that, you know, within a year were nice little shoheen sized trees. Yep. So um, the air layers and cuttings are definitely a way to go, but even that, you know, it's still, it cuts out a little bit of the time, but not much. No. I mean, there's still a bunch of time involved into making something a decent piece of material. Yeah. And I, so. I think people will understand the value of that. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, over there but in australia we're kind of our bonsai is getting a little bit overvalued here and i think bonds uh, like facebook marketplace is a little bit to blame for that because we we kind of get some people that think that all bonsai are worth no enormous amounts of money so they they get you know little trees and little production pots and you know, for a tree that we would sell here in the nursery for $25, say as a gift tree, would end up on Facebook for like 150 Um So they're somewhat getting overvalued here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, and, and but again, that's with people that are really not educated Yeah, about it. You know, it's almost always beginners that, um, generally beginners that don't have a teacher, you know, that are trying to learn online, or something that are paying those kind of prices for stuff. Um, and a lot of times you just get excited by the fact that it's something in a pot yep. or size, you know, big trunk. Oh, that's got a bigger trunk than, you know, what I see in my local nursery. Um, so, yeah, I get that. And it's a tough thing. And some hands it's like, wow, look, they're selling this stuff for a hundred dollars. 
I need to raise my prices, but um, it doesn't really work that way because I know it's not worth a hundred dollars. No, well, I don't raise my prices here, but I do get customers that come in all the time and they're like, is this price tag correct? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, it'd be nicer if bonsai was valued more um, appropriately to the time we put into it. Yeah. But you know that, and and again, it boils down to education. You know, when people start learning about it and they learn what good bonsai really is, and there's nothing wrong with little, don't get me wrong. Um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, sticks in a pot. I think probably 90% of us start out that way. Yep. You know, with little four inch or one gallon plants that, you know, we're taking and sticking in bonsai pots and trying to create a masterpiece out of. And that's fine for a stepping point. And it's even fine if that's all you want to do. Um, personally, I would like to see people step beyond that. But if that's what they want to do, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, but the more you give people the opportunity to learn, I think the more that they're willing to take those opportunities and most people become fascinated by it when they realize what it is and what goes into it and what it can become. Yeah. Well, that, that's where I found actually a lot of the zoom sessions really handy because I get, um, people from all over the world that, you know, jump on the zoom sessions with me and, you know, they say, oh, I've got this little tree and it'll be, you know, just like a little gift tree that they've either gotten for their birthday or, um, you know, gotten from a big box retailer somewhere. And they say, oh, what should I do next? And, you know, basically I say to them, well, you got two options here. If you like that tree for what it is, well, then we can leave it for what it is. Um, you might be able to do a little bit of styling here or there. It'll be minimal, but... If you're wanting to get something more out of that tree, here's an action plan. Here's some steps we can take to grow that tree on, develop it a little bit more, um, you know, and get some more branching options on it, get some more foliage, get the trunk a little bit thicker. And I I think any time that I go through that with them, it really opens their eyes to what bonsai is. They realize that, oh, wow, this is a horticultural art, like if you want this tree to be something big, you've got to first apply the horticulture practice to it before you apply that aesthetic practice. Yeah. And that's always a relevation to people. I think they just like, they, it blows them away when they realize that, you know, they have to take care of it like a tree and they have to give it what it needs as a tree before they can give it what it needs as a bonsai. Yeah. Uh, And, it's something that um, not many people teach also. A lot of people, especially like in club settings and stuff, you know, they teach how to shape it, you know, how to put wire on it, maybe how to prune the roots and stuff, but they don't really teach the horticulture about it too much. And um, I'm not a big fan of demos for that very reason. Yep. Because generally, you know, somebody's got two or three hours if they're lucky to create something that, you know, looks like a bonsai that is going to generate some money for whatever the host club or organization is. And to me, that's just a, um, a wrong way to go about showing people how to do it. Yeah. I tried it when I go ahead. Well, I was just going to say in a demonstration model, you can't really, you can't do what you actually want to do to the tree. If you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, in a demonstration model, you would get a piece of nursery stock and, 
really, when I sit down with a piece of raw stock for the first time that's just being grown, the first thing that pops into my head is I need to eliminate that, 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 and that. I need to go back to bare bones, and then I need to grow that on for a season, keep those at bay, and then once that grows, then I need to start here, here, and here, and and straight away I've got like a four or five year process in my head and you got to try and fit that into a three hour window. Right. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, what I try to do if, when I get asked to do demonstrations is try to get them to agree to let me work on the same tree over the course of three years. Yep. Um, and generally now they agree to that and that gives people a more realistic idea of you know what the process actually is or i'll try to do something where i'll bring in stuff that's similar to whatever the demonstration tree is but in various stages and explain yep. that this is the way it started and this was you know six months after i did this and this was a year after i did this um but most clubs and stuff don't want those because they're not sexy yeah you know they're not, uh, you know, stripping off half the foliage, wiring the heck out of a tree and making it look like a bonsai in two hours. Yeah. But um, to me, that's dangerous. It's dangerous to the art. It's dangerous to the trees because, um, yeah, you could do it and the tree could survive it maybe given the right aftercare. But in a case of, you know, most clubs where it's raffled off to somebody, you have no idea what's going to happen to that tree afterwards. Yeah. And you're somewhat teaching misinformation. Um, extremely misinformation. I mean, you're making people think that it's okay to do all of that in, you know, side of two hours. And it's, I think it's very harmful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I was going to ask before, um, you, you mentioned that your nursery is out in California there in LA. Um, is that where you've been for your entire life or did you grow up somewhere else? Oh no, I grew up in New Jersey. Oh, okay. So I believe that's on the other side, isn't it? Yeah, clear across the country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like a lot of people in Los Angeles, I came out here for a visit and decided not to go home. (laughs) Was it Um, the weather? uh, It's a lot of things, but a big part of it at the time was the weather. Um, I was a contractor. And in New Jersey, you know, they have a a real winter where it rains and snows a lot. So... um, there's only a, a limited number of in t- indoor jobs to contractors and an almost unlimited number of contractors. Yep. So um, in the wintertime, you don't work a whole lot. Yeah. Okay. And I was never one that was really good at, you know, saving my money for the months that I was working so that I had money for the months that I wasn't working. Yep. So I was always broke in the wintertime. And I came out here to visit a friend and found out that, you know, I could pretty much work all year it, it was you know the california is just an incredibly gorgeous state um we have every kind of geography you can imagine from snow-covered mountains to you know wave-covered beaches all within a couple of hours of each other yep um so and uh you know there's tons of work so i decided to come out and give it a try and been here ever since yeah, I can imagine that there's lots of opportunities there because I believe in California, you guys are about 10 million people shy of the total amount of people we have in Australia. Probably. There's a bunch of us. I think we're um, I think we're the fourth or fifth largest economy in the world, just the state of California. Yep. 
So, um, yeah, there's all kinds of opportunity here. The weather's perfect. <clears throat> Although as a bonsai grower, I got to say, you know, it sucks not being able to grow some conifers or things like five needle pines and stuff that need a real winter. Yep. And I used to get really like upset about that and beat my head against the ground and try to like make it happen, sick trees and refrigerators and all kinds of stuff. Took about five years to finally give up on all that yeah, and to embrace what we can grow here because we have basically a year round growing season. So, you know, we're blessed with being able to grow stuff much quicker than in a lot of places. Yeah, if you wanted all those cold climate trees, you're going to need a lot of fridges. Right. Yeah, well, I found out it didn't work. Um, unfortunately, you know, they, they, it's just not the same as having a cold climate. I suppose I could have another nursery up in the mountains. and uh, But, you know, they'd have to stay up there. I just gave up on them. You know, yep. it, it, it was easier, finally, to just say, well, we can't grow that. I have a um, a friend that's really fond of five needle pines. Yep. He's always sending me pictures of these beautiful trees that he sees online. He's like, oh, let's get one of these. I was like, can't do it. Won't grow here. You know. I know. We're the same here. I've wanted a white pine for so long and I just can't have them here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure like you, I mean, I've tried, I've tried all kinds of stuff, you know, like try white pines, pine, black pine rootstock, you know, some people, and you know, there are people that will swear you can do that. Um, I've never seen one here that has, you know, lasted any amount of time. I had a client once that had some white pines that he spent a lot of money on, even though everybody told him not to. And every winter he would send them off to a nursery up in the mountains, you know, where they'd get a winter, but then they'd come back down here and every summer in, you know, they would get weaker and weaker and lose a branch and lose another branch. And the winter, they'd go back up to the nursery up in the mountains and they'd kind of gain their strength. But, you know, they'd have to restyle them because they lost branches here over the course of the summer. Yep. Um, and over time, the trees just slowly but surely declined. It took about five years for, you know, a $10,000 tree to die. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, that's. I was actually explaining that to some people here in the nursery yesterday, and you know they were saying that they had some Japanese maples and stuff. And you know, I just explained to them, look, it's a really hard tree to keep here in our environment, just because we don't get that winter dormancy that the tree needs. Like a lot of the time here, at the start of winter, we'll have maples and stuff drop their leaves, and then a month later, they're reshooting. Yeah, same thing for us. Um, they'll they'll drop their leaves after. Thanksgiving, which is at the end of November. Yep. Um, and generally by the end of January, they're leafing out again. Yeah. So, um, and even worse is during the summer, it never cools down enough for them to slow down at night, you know, where they can stop pumping water to keep, try to keep cool. Yep. So during the summer, they're running 24 seven, you know, just trying to pump water through themselves, to keep things cool. And, um, you know, by June, the leaves are starting to get fried. By July, they're almost all fried off. Yep. So um, it's just not a tree for Southern California. On so you guys end, must have a pretty Mediterranean type climate then, right? Similar to us, it sounds like. Yeah, we do. Um, so we're really lucky here because the trees that we can keep, 
we basically get nine solid months of growing season. Um, so the things you can achieve in a single growing season are just astronomical, especially with our natives. Like even right now, um, we're getting down to uh, about 10 degrees, which for you guys, I would take a rough guess would be around 40. Okay. Probably around is that your, there. Is that typically your coldest? Not necessarily. That's our start of winter. We'll get down okay. to... We'll get down to about five degrees, and then some days, oh, wow. some days we'll get down to about zero, which I believe for you guys is about thirty-two. Yes, yeah. Um, so, but that zero is rare, and it probably only happens one, maybe two days out of the entire winter. Um, but the daytime temperatures, as soon as the sun comes out, the it's not so cold. Like some days we can still get up to around 15, 16 degrees. Okay. Um, yeah, I just checked. 10 degrees is 50 here. So, okay. Yep. Uh, that, that's pretty mild. Yeah, it's very mild. So, Los Angeles is kind of strange because we've got 21. Oh, no, we don't have all 21. Um, we probably have at least 10 different climate zones here, though. You know, from really really mild at the beach where it probably doesn't get much below 40 all winter long yep to you know up in the high desert mountains where it can get down in the low 20s yep you know uh, below zero for you and and where i am in the valley we get we hit 32 we hit zero um probably 30 or 40 nights a year yep but only for an hour or so. Yeah. It's very rare that it's more than that. Um, so it's not really enough. It's enough to give you a little bit of a tease, but not enough to give the trees the chill that they really need. Yeah, because you need about 60 days below zero. Right. Round about there for most of the species. And, it, you know, it's crazy too because here if we drive – you know, maybe about an hour more inland, <laughs> it's like, then it's cold. Like, it's it's below zero, and it's like, man, it's so crazy. Yeah. So um, I'd love to come down and visit there someday. It, things I've seen in Australia and New Zealand, both are beautiful countries. Yeah, um, well, you'd be more than welcome. Like, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't be the only one that would be, you know, give you hospitality and whatnot if you ever wanted to come down here and you know take you around to see some collections and bonsai nurseries and go to some clubs and whatnot well cool i may i may actually hold you to that yeah 100 percent. like you know so. we we love having you know international artists over here and you know showing off our country that we've got here because you know the whole coast that we live on here um you know i could almost throw a stone and hit the beach so Oh neat. Yeah. So um what what part of Australia are you in actually? So um the state that I'm in is New South Wales, so it's right in the middle of the east coast. Okay. Um so my actual location is about three hours north of Sydney. Okay. So, so to fly if, if somebody were to fly into Australia, they'd fly into Sydney? Most, yes. Most yep. Part? yep. So you, you could fly into Melbourne, um, you could fly into Queensland, 
um, and also Sydney. I don't know so much about Western Australia. I've never been there. I'm pretty sure that they'd have to have some kind of major international airport there, I would believe. Um, but yeah, at least on the East Coast anyway, the, the three major states, you'd be able to fly basically dead into the center of them. Cool. So um, later on, at, not as part of this podcast, but um, I'll, I'll reach out to you over uh, Instagram or something and um, a couple of things I want to talk to you about that we'll keep off the podcast. For yeah, now. yeah, no Maybe worries. Add them later. But um, yeah, um, it's just, so you said you've never been to Western Australia. Is it that common that people don't travel around the country that much? Not really. Um, you know, I've, I've been everywhere else. I've been Melbourne, Queensland. I've been, you know, you know, pretty far inland in Australia because um, we've got so many cool places to see around here. Um, but Western Australia, you know, it's, yeah, it's all the way over there, man. Like, <laughs> 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 like it, it's a long way away and there's a lot of nothing in between. Um, okay. So if you were to drive, it would take, oh man, I, I don't even want to say because I know my information is going to be incorrect, but at a guess, if you were to drive, it would probably take just over a week. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't realize it was so big. And in, like, Australia is really funny. Australia is like a really poorly looked after root system in a bonsai where there's, <laughs> there's lots of activity around the edges, but there's nothing in the middle. Like, okay. <laughs> it's just like the middle's dead. Like, don't even go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it feels that way here, but I definitely won't go there because that'll stir up a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. The coast, both coasts are completely different than the middle part of the country. Although the middle part of the country is by far not empty. Um, there's, there's quite a bit of empty space here, but there's also, you know, quite a bit of um, developed places everywhere, you know, all across the country. Yeah. So, um, and the other strange yeah, thing about Western Australia is too, is for, for people who do bonsai, it's, it's such a shame because we can't take trees into Western Australia. So if they had a show, we couldn't go and um, display. And wow. if, if people from Western Australia wanted to bring trees from out of Western Australia, say into New South Wales, Queensland or whatever, they could bring them here no problems, um, no hassles, but they won't be able to take them back. They're our trees now. So uh. it's, it's kind of really strange and it's, it blows my mind because it all comes down to this imaginary border that the government's made of you can't take this tree onto the other side of the border because we don't want pest infections or you, you, whatever it may be. We don't want pests or you know, any of the fungal infections right. and that is like, but you do realize that that border that you set is imaginary, right? Like, right. The pest or the fungus or whatever doesn't recognize any lines drawn on a map. <laughs> no, you know, if the pests are going to go, they're not going to stop at customs and check in like, no. <laughs> you know, no. stuff, you know, spores and whatnot, they blow in the wind. Like they don't stop at customs and check in either. Like, right. So, yeah, we have a, a somewhat similar situation here. Um, we have uh, every other year there's the U.S. National Bonsai Exhibition that's been yep. going on for 
I think they've had seven of them so far. I mean, that is in upstate New York, which is clear across the country. Yeah. Um, and it gets trees from all over the country and, and not very many from the West Coast, though. Most of the states in the country, you can drive in and out of with trees, plants, whatever, and it's no question. I mean, maybe if you have a big, giant tractor trailer full, you know, they might want to see some paperwork or do an inspection. But, you know, you could put a tree in your car and drive across the country all you want. There's a few states, though, California, Florida, and um, Oregon, where because they're such large agricultural states, they're really, really, really strict about that stuff. Yep. So, like, for instance, last year we had the U.S. National Exhibit in in uh, Rochester, and I brought a Catlin elm, a tree that was grown here in California from the very beginning of time. You know, its entire life has been here in California. Yeah. And it was going to go in a box, in a car, from here to there, be in the hotel, and then come back. Not, you know, out in the open anywhere or anything like that. And I spent probably four months before the exhibit trying to get the Department of Agriculture in California to give me paperwork that would allow me to bring my tree there and bring it back. And the best I could get from them was that you can probably do it, but it would still be subject to inspection at the border. And if they wanted to remove it from the pot and wash the soil off of the roots, that would be up to the border inspection. (laughs) And I mean, I went through like department after department. Most people are like, huh, what's a bonsai? Or, well, yeah, it's like a house plant, right? Or, yeah, they had no clue. Um, and it's a problem because it means that the U.S. National Exhibition is really not the National Exhibition because there's, you know, lots of people from besides the distance, you know, it's 3,000 miles. Um, a lot of people just aren't willing to take that risk of not being able to get their tree back. Yep. And, you know, if they really wanted to, you know, it's up to the border control people. But if they really wanted to, they could keep the tree. Yeah, um, it's it's crazy, so, isn't it? Yeah, so that's you know it it's kind of tough, um, and I get you know they want to be really careful about, especially you know in a state like California where um, agriculture is a big industry, you want to be careful about stuff coming in, and you know like in Chicago, they cut down I think it was like fifteen million ash trees because of borers that were coming in on wooden crates from China. Yeah. Uh, they were just cutting down live trees in China, making packing crates out of them, and whatever was in them was in them. Yep. So, you know, I understand the being careful about that kind of stuff, but come on, it's a bonsai tree. You know, <laughs> how hard is it to check that you know, there's no pest or disease on it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, the guys that do the Bonsai Wire podcast, um, Andrew Robson and... Mm-hmm. Um, and Jonas. Jonas, yeah, they're, they're putting on a, an exhibition. Is it next year? Um, no, it's actually this coming year. Yeah, the Pacific Bonsai Expo. I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. Um, yeah. In fact, the California Bonsai Society is going to sponsor the um, the best of the Evergreen Awards. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it they've got their work cut out for them and they're, I mean, they've got really ambitious plans and I wish them nothing but the best because I think that um, it's something that is 
really needed here. Yeah. That high level of a of a place to exhibit trees because there are some amazing bonsai on the west coast of the U.S. Yeah. And there are trees here that r- rival anything in Japan. Yep. Um, and and that are you know traditionally like trees in Japan, but also trees, native trees that are not styled so traditionally that would still rival anything in Japan, like trees that would make Kimura's jaw drop, you know? Yep. Um, but a lot of times they don't get, they don't have an opportunity for a showcase and this is going to be that opportunity. Um, I'm hoping that one of my trees gets accepted. We haven't heard yet, but I, uh, I, enter, I did enter one, um, but it's, I think it's going to be a really amazing exhibition and I'm looking forward to seeing it progress you know, this first year, I'm sure that, you know, there will be some uh, some issues and problems. You know, there always is when you're working stuff out like that. But the venue is just amazing. The trees that um, are being entered are really going to be amazing. I, I know a handful of, of the trees that are have been entered were, you know, at least applied to be entered. Um, They're all being jurored, so we don't know yet what trees are going to be in. Yeah. So, um but I envision it being a super high quality event going forward um, and really looking forward to it. And I think it'll do a lot towards bringing bonsai up. You know, it'll give it a, um, a platform that is unlike most platforms that, you know, get to be way different than a local club show in an auditorium someplace or at a state fair or something. Yep. Um, you know, won't be quite what Ryan did with the uh, Artisans Cup. I mean, that was crazy over the top. Yep. Um, that's something that only Ryan you know, could do. But uh, I think it, it's going to be a, um, a really big event and continue to be a big event. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Well, I think I've seen somewhere or heard somewhere that they're going, going to be doing some streaming and stuff from there. So... Um, Hopefully I can oh, cool. jump on board for that and check it out and maybe I'll um, have to reach out to the guys and see if there's some way that I can help promote it, maybe do a podcast once they've got the, the details um, set in stone or whatever and try it. Oh, that'd try, be cool, yeah. Yeah, because a, a, large, a large portion of the podcast audience is actually from the United States, so... Really? Yeah, that's a really cool thing about the internet. Um, the first year, the first year, feel, feels like it's been 10 years, it's only been two. Uh, 2020, you know, the first year of COVID, um, yeah, everything slammed to a halt. It was just we had one show, we had the Winter Silhouette show, which is an awesome show. It's all just what it sounds like deciduous trees, no leaves, and then everything got shut down, so nobody had any exhibits or anything. And for um, National for International Bonsai Day that year, I decided to do a, um, an online exhibition through CBS. And we did it on Facebook. Yeah, it was kind of a late minute thing, you know, last minute thing. We did it like we started it about a week or a week and a half before, and we had like six hundred entries in it, and people from all over the world, and not just you know, we've had like some really impressive bonsai professionals that entered trees in it because people wanted an opportunity to have an exhibition. Yep. Um, and also I think that <laughs> a 
some of the bonsai professionals thought that there was going to be a um, $1,000 prize because it was right around the same time as the CBS um, scholarship thing. So, yep. you know, like some people, they don't read all the details, just see the headline. <laughs> you know, they saw one headline that said, you know, International Bonsai Day exhibition. And they saw something else that said, win a $1,000 scholarship. And, you know, they thought they were going to get $1,000. So I think that's why a couple of them actually entered trees. But um, it was a pretty impressive thing. And the audience to it still to this day, I'm, you know, I'm constantly getting things from Facebook about, you know, people going and checking it out. Um, you know, people, thousands and thousands of people have gone and checked that out. Yeah, and like, I mean that's a great thing about YouTube too. Like when a, a local club has a show, or you know, there's a some kind of like the national show in New York or whatever. There's always somebody there with a the camera walking around, and people like me who can't actually physically get there can actually somewhat experience the show, mm -hmm. which is you know great. You get to see you know the trees that are there and the stands and the you know, the displays and everything and, um, you know, and every now and then they'll do some interviews with, you know, some of the artists and stuff and you get some insight on, you know, the, the trees that are there and, yeah, it, it's really cool and I think, um, you know, I, I've said it a million times, the internet's really going to make bonsai boom, I think. And I, it, it has. Um, the last two years, I think, is we've, I don't know about for you, I'm probably sure it's, been the same because i see some facebook stuff from australia um bonsai has gone through kind of a, a big boom yep and a big part because people are home you know they're stuck at home looking for things to do and bonsai happened to be one of the things that they found but i also think that it's going to be something that they stick with yep for the most part um and a big part of that is because of the internet and certainly the fact that People your age um, and younger are interested is because of the internet. Yep. You know, that's where they get all their information nowadays is online. And, you know, as long as Bonsai has a presence online, the trick is, is to help people figure out what information is good and what's not so good. Because yeah. when, especially when you're first starting out, you don't know, you know, you see somebody, wow, this guy's got 7 million you know, viewers. He's got to know what he's talking about. Um, not always. Well, you just always got to look at the trees too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I tell people. Just look at the trees. You know, I mean, this, this guy online, has he got trees that you like? Does he have trees that you want on your bench? If yes, then listen to what he's got to say. If not, then don't. Yeah. Or how many times do you see the same tree, you know, progressing? Yep. Because um, a lot of times you see all kinds of crazy work done on a tree, but you never see that tree again. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's so, TV magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, all the all the trees that we've had on our YouTube channel here, most of them are still here. We've sold one or two, um, and a handful of them were. Um, not actually my trees, so they're with the owner. But yeah, all the stuff that we've showed on the YouTube channel, I get people reaching out all the time. Oh, I'd love to see that tree now that it's been like two or three years later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I, what, what's even better is when people actually come here to the nursery and they recognize the tree 
and they're like, oh my god, that's the tree that you did the crazy root work on, or that's the tree that you, you know, you did this on or that on, and you know, and they can tell me everything about that tree, and it's yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, that, that's cool. That yeah, that, that makes you feel good. It means hey, look, I did something right. Somebody listened, you know, they and remembered it. Um, and it's good for them to be able to see that tree later on too. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, and, but, and it's too. It's funny too. Um, we we had a exhibition here um, a couple of months ago, and it's you know set to be probably one of our biggest bonsai shows in Australia, which is put on by the Central Coast Bonsai Club. Um, and I went down to that show, and it took me almost about four hours to walk around the exhibition and there was only three aisles. Um, oh, wow. Just because every step I took, somebody would stop me and talk about the podcast, YouTube or whatever. And it was just so surprising to me how much people knew about the episodes on the podcast. Like people would say to me, do you remember when you were talking to this person and you said this? And I'd be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> But you do, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like when people ask you, hey, you remember that tree I brought to class three years ago? <laughs> <laughs> so usually if I see the tree, I'll remember it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if somebody just asked me, hey, do you remember that tree? It's very rare that I remember it. You know, um, once I have to see it. <laughs> yeah. Go through and- a lot. You know, I've touched a lot of trees. <laughs> Well, it's like the conversations you have too. Like you have these really long, in-depth conversations, and you know, some people just can remember the whole thing off the top of their head. And you know, I was there, and a lot of the times, you know, I remember bits and pieces, and then, you know, you spark my memory and you go, "Oh yeah, I remember we spoke about that." Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, these people, they just yeah, they love it. They eat it up. It's it's great. It is, and good for you for doing it. You know, I mean, it's it's they need there needs to be more and more and more opportunity for people to learn about bonsai and you know what it really is, and um, and it's different. You know, it's something different for different people. Um, the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine that was um, telling me how it's like become a way of life for him. Yep. You know, he every morning he goes out and spends you know a half hour with his trees just before anybody else gets up or anything and when he can't do that he really misses it his days aren't the same like his when he doesn't have that beginning of his day with his trees the day just doesn't feel as good as otherwise yeah yeah you know and for some people it's you know it's a deep spiritual thing for some people it's a you know, fine art for some people, it's a horticultural challenge for some people. It's just a cool little stick in a pot, you know, with a little silly clay figure in it, but, um, brings them pleasure. Yeah. And and that's the cool thing about it. I'm hoping moving forward too, you know, you were, you were talking a bit before about, you know, the California bonsai society, you know, having a bit more budget to be able to bring in international artists and share them with other clubs. I think, as we move forward, I'd like to see a bit more of maybe, um, you know, international artists being able to do Zoom talks with clubs because to me, I find, and I mean, you may agree or disagree, but I find that when it comes to demonstrating that, me personally, I would rather stand up with a whiteboard and talk about a specific um, 
topic, whether it be how to choose a you know a bonsai pot or soil substrates and you know what we look for in a mix and you know how we determine whether a mix is good for us or if it's not good for us um you know those kinds of things and get a whiteboard out go through all the points have people you know talk back and say well i use this and and then have you know back and forth discussions because i find that teaches a lot more um solid knowledge Mm -hmm. and Also, too, I find when people are actually a part of the conversation, they retain what's being taught a lot more rather than when somebody's just, you know, talking at them. When they're actually involved in the conversation, they tend to hold on to that that knowledge a little bit more. And I think that kind of teaching style could be done over Zoom anywhere in the world. You know, I could do, you know, a talk with people in you know, any English speaking country in the world, really. Really? Yeah. And, and I think it has started um, thanks to the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of people have started doing that because like a lot of these professionals couldn't travel anymore. Yep. And, you know, that was the only way that um, they could get any income coming in. You know, a lot of them, you know, their main part of their income was their traveling and teaching and workshops and, you know, working on, collections and stuff like that when they couldn't do that i think zoom saved a lot of their asses yep um you know um so you know for us or for me i can't speak for anybody else but for me i was lucky in the nursery um we closed down for about six weeks yep but other than that um you know if anything it's been better for my business um you know because so many people we're looking for something to do. I think in general for the nursery industry, at least in this country, the pandemic was a huge boom. Um, yep. Houseplant growers, they can't keep up with the demand. It's insane. You know, people buying plants to put in their houses um, and, you know, bonsai to vegetable gardens. There's more vegetables growing in the last two years in this country in people's backyards and on all the commercial farms put together, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, they were home and needed something to do. Yeah, well, my my physical location was shut for quite a while, but that allowed me to, um, you know, do do other things. Like on YouTube, I started doing like a critique series where I had um, people submit their trees via email, um, you know, four different angles, you know, front, back and both sides. And then I'd get on YouTube and bring the tree up and we'd chat about, you know, the fu- what the future could look like for the tree and, you know, potential pot choices for it, um, you know, just different little things. And that was really cool being able to do that for all the people that follow the YouTube channel and that. But I think once the nursery reopened and all my time went back into the nursery, they were a little bit disappointed that <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> happening anymore. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, there's not enough time to do it all. So, you know, another cool thing about the internet and um, its promotion of bonsai are when celebrities get involved in it. Yep. Um, as you know, you know, Tommy Lee is a student of mine, right? And um, in fact, that's how we met. Yep. Is you were trying to reach out to Tommy. Um, so many people have gotten involved or at least looked into bonsai 
because he makes social media posts about it that never would have given it a second thought. Yeah, absolutely. Before, um, uh, who's the guy that did the, was, um, uh, Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. You know, he's got a few trees. He posted a tree a few months back on, um, Instagram, I guess, where he was watering a tree inside the house. Yeah, and you know, of course, people lost their minds about how that tree needs to be outside and this and that and all that stuff. And it was funny because I looked at the tree and I said, "Hey, I recognize that tree. It was one of my trees." <laughs> um, and and I actually I used to do a um, a blog. Yep. And um, there was like three different blog posts dedicated to that tree, from you know it being a big giant bush at a nursery that I found, and the process you know over a couple of years of how I, you know, designed it and styled it and stuff. So um, when people like that get involved and post about it, it opens it up to a whole different um, audience that would never normally consider bonsai. Absolutely. And that's, you know, you know, when you were saying about Tommy, um, I remember, man, this would have been a long time ago, but there was some kind of, thing on tv and it was like tommy showing people around his house i don't know if it was like an mtv cribs kind of thing or if it was another show or whatever it was i can't remember now but i just remember at the time saying oh wow tommy has bonsai like cool <laughs> you know yeah he was always into you know um japanese art and japanese gardens and stuff like that um so um and he's another one though that you know during the pandemic really kind of bonsai became a big part of his life yeah double down so yeah so that that's pretty cool yeah it'd be and, cool to yeah. see yeah, it'd be cool to see more you know celebrities kind of take it up and try and push it for you know because like you say it, it's a big boost for our world like you know you, you think of you know just tommy alone what his reach is and oh yeah it's amazing you know he puts a post up and there's you know 700 and something thousand views yeah um you know um so yeah and there are actually a handful of celebrities that are involved in bonsai or at least have bonsai yeah um but there aren't many of them that are actually posting about it or you know for whatever reason um you know i'm not quite sure why they don't um, and the ones I know, most of them, other than Tommy, I'm not close enough to, to say, Hey, you should do this. Yep. Um, but, um, when they do, you know, I mean, even if it's just like Robert Downey Jr. Putting up, you know, one random thing on his feed, it generates a ton of interest and, you know, people really get interested again. What we really need is another karate kid. <laughs> yeah well i mean cobra kai is kind of doing the same thing again um yeah to his to not not to the same degree but yeah definitely um but you know these people my age i'm 64 most people my age found out about bonsai in this country because of the movie yep karate kids or the movies than any other thing um you know if you're part of the bonsai world it's one thing it's a pretty small, small world, but you know, we, you, you get informed about everything, you know, everything that's going on and stuff like that. Yeah. But for most people that aren't part of that world, Karate Kid was their 
main introduction to bonsai. Yeah. And I think the, the third one really played a lot of role in that because, you know, bonsai actually played quite a major part in that movie. Part in the movie, right. Yeah. But, you know, as yeah. I said, I think I did see a little bit of a, a boost in interest when the first season of Cobra Kai came out because there were bonsai, um, you know, in that and there were references, you know, they'll call in Daniel, you know, the bonsai man and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh-huh. So, and I mean, you, you, more and more you're seeing them pop up in, you know, movies just in the background and, um, you know, I've always been a really big fan of The Simpsons and the amount of times you notice a bonsai in the background of the Simpsons yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I actually enjoy that stuff when it, it's in the movies and stuff. I've had uh, more than a few trees in television and the movies Yeah, um, and they pay you really, really well when they do it. Um, and uh, generally it, it's pretty easy. Like, I could never remember which Batman movie it was. It was the one with um, um, uh, terrible with actors' names. Me too. The guy that was the most phenomenal guy ever is the Joker, um, who died recently. Oh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, it was the one, the second one. Um, you know, when he was the Joker in that, they rented eight large trees for me. Yep. And they must have spent, they must have had their art department come to the nursery 15 or 20 times, taking pictures and measuring and all kinds of stuff. They decided on these trees they wanted. They had their construction team build these special um, stands for the trees. We brought them to the location and they were on location for a week. They paid Seven hundred dollars a day for one of my guys to just sit there all day, so that if the tree needed water or needed to be moved, he did it. They didn't touch him. Yep. Um, and yeah, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars to have these trees in this movie. So I went to see the movie, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And towards way back towards the end, there's a scene in the boardroom where they're firing Bruce Wayne from the board or something, and you know, they, they finish the meeting and everybody walks out and they walk past this row of trees. The camera was on the trees so quickly that I couldn't even tell you which one of my trees you actually got to see. <laughs> I mean, it was literally not even two seconds of camera time. And they spent tens of thousands of dollars to, to have these trees. They could have been anything. They could have been a ficus tree in a pot, you know, sitting against a white wall. For yep. as much as you saw, um, there was a, another TV show, it was a, um, a soap opera that had a recurring um, character that had a little bonsai collection. Yep. And they came into the nursery and they bought like 14 little trees for, to be this guy's bonsai collection. And yep. um, they paid for the trees and then they shot their scene and then they said, listen, this is going to be a recurring character. So we need to keep these trees. Um, can we keep them with you? And I said, of course. So they paid me to maintain the trees. And then every time they needed, you know, needed those particular trees for a scene, they would call me up and we'd go drop the trees off. And after a couple of years, I don't remember if the show was canceled or if the character was written out or whatever. They decided that they didn't need the trees anymore. 
and I could keep them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's like that all the time with rentals. We, um, yeah, they spend a lot of money for just a little bit of time usually. And for the most part, they're pretty respectful for the trees. Um, I did rent a tree once for that they use for a Google commercial. Yep. And it was a big tree. And when they rented it, you know, we told them it takes at least two people to move this tree. You know, it's a big tree. I'd be really careful. And my agreement with them whenever I rent something like that is that the rental rate is 10% of the retail price of the tree. Yep. And if there's any damage whatsoever, broken branch, you chip the pot, whatever, they pay for the tree and I keep it. Yep. So they broke the first branch on this tree in this Google commercial. They had this guy dragging this big tree across the floor and pick it up by himself. And when he picked it up, he pulled it to his chest, I think, to stop from dropping it. Yeah. They broke the branch. So they had to pay me for the tree. They had to pay me $15,000 for this tree yep. that I got to keep. And <laughs> a, a couple months later, I hope Google people, the production company isn't listening to this, but a couple months later, my teacher was here, Kenji Miyata uh, from Japan. And I was telling him about the tree and he was looking at it. And he's like, ah, it's okay. We make a gin out of the rest of the branch that broke off and looked at it, changed the front a little bit and said, Okay, now $20,000. Rent again. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Hollywood is is cool. Although they so often put them inside and, you know, make people think that you can have these cool bonsai trees indoors, yeah. which drives me nuts. I did a TV show once for um, this home and garden network that we have here on cable. Yep. And, um, you know, I was really, really clear in the beginning before they even, you know, broke out a camera that, you know, these things need to be outdoors. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that. And they assured me, yes, that's what we're going to do, blah, 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 blah. And they made it seem like, you know, you can grow the trees indoors. And I heard a ration of stuff from people about what were you doing on that show? Let people know they can grow trees. I said, that wasn't me saying that, you know, that was the person doing the voiceover telling you to grow them indoors it wasn't me yeah um so i wanted to be i want to be really careful about that stuff going forward in the future i don't want to you know promote the wrong idea yeah that's that that um, good and the bad again you know there's the good side that you know once again bonsai is getting airtime it's getting promotion and but mm -hmm. then the bad side is is they're kind of promoting something that's not exactly true right there was a movie oh doom I think those trees came from somebody in Australia, didn't they? The, the um, tree in Bobby Dune. There were some pretty impressive trees there. I'm pretty sure they did. I heard something about that, but I can't. I can't remember exactly what nursery they come from. I wish I could, so that I can, you know. Yeah, that would be a mention. cool little podcast uh, subject, you know, the tree because they were, they made an impression on a lot of people. Um, I a lot of people mentioned them to me. You know, non bonsai people are like, "Hey, did you see all those bonsai trees in that movie, dude? You should go see that movie, and you'd love the trees." So, but again, they were all trees that you know they showed indoors. Yeah, yeah, well, and you know they were like pines and junipers and stuff like that. But um, you know, what do they say? Uh, any publicity is good publicity. 
Yeah. At least they say that here. <laughs> any good publicities? What are any publicities? Or good publicity. Any publicity is not... good publicity. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm not quite so sure that I agree with that 100. percent But yeah, and there's some publicity that's you know not fantastic, or you know. No. <laughs> Especially if, you know, things get taken and they get edited the wrong way and, you know. Yeah. That's why I love podcasts because they're just, they're so open and they're just open conversations. Um, you know, you, you hear everything and people have got time to say, you know, you know, on like those gardening shows and stuff like that, they probably give you like a 10-minute window to teach people the history of bonsai and right. how, how to create their own bonsai. <laughs> And you're like, man, I can't do that in 10 minutes. No, you can't. And and the funny part is that 10 minutes may take five or six hours of filming. Yeah. You know, um, it, it blew me away the first time I did one of those things when I saw the difference between how much time they spent with me and a camera and how much time they spent on the show. Yep. Like, the, the very first time I ever did a, a television show like that was, um, I can't even remember the name of the show, but it was a show that was hosted by somebody and it was, you know, about people's hobbies and stuff like that. And it was before I had the nursery. And um, this guy came to my, my house, my garden, and we spent hours. I mean, they must have been there six or seven hours filming. And... Um, when the show finally came up, it was one part of four segments in a half hour show. Yep. So it was like six minutes of, of television time yep. for six hours of, of filming. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was kind of cool because um, a, they, they didn't edit out or didn't change anything. I said, they you know left it all pretty much intact. So the, the message was the same. Yep. And um, the guy that was the host of the show, I ran into again at LAX airport seven or eight years later, just happened to be run into each other in the airport. We looked at each other. We kind of recognized each other from somewhere, but couldn't quite remember where. Yep. And we got to talking and he had become interested in bonsai because of doing that show with me and had like 20 or 30 trees of his own in his backyard now. Um, so that was kind of cool. I don't know if anybody yeah. else that saw the show ever got inspired, but you know, the guy that was the host did. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, and that is, you know, um, stuff like that that happens where, um, you know, I, I've had people reach out to me because, because of the podcast and things like that. And they say, oh, you know, because of the podcast or the YouTube, you know, I managed to save this tree and kept going. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes the hours of filming and, all that kind of stuff worth it because you know yeah exactly because youtube doesn't it, it, pay any bills you know podcasts don't pay any bills but what it does is it helps the art you know and it feels it feels really good and you're right it absolutely makes it worth it um we used to do a, um, a thing at the Hun the huntington library is um a big library and art museum and botanical gardens here in southern california and um we did this program for kids where we had like, I don't know, there was probably 50 or 60 kids come and they all got a little one gallon juniper <laughs> and we had 20 or 30, you know, volunteers from the bonsai community to sit down with them and show them how to make a little tree out of it. Yep. 
And some of the kids didn't want to be there. You know, the parents were forcing them to do it. And some of them, the parents were more interested than the kids. And we had to remind the parents, no, this is for the kids. <laughs> but, you know, there was one kid there in particular. I remember he was at one of the, at the table I was working at. And this is in 1992 or 93. And this kid did not want to do anything. He wanted his tree to be exactly the way it was in the pot. He didn't want to cut it. He didn't want to put wire on it. He didn't want to do anything. You know, he was adamant about it. He was like in tears at one point. You know, I was like, well, what if we just, you know, straighten it up a little bit, put a little wire and stand the tree up? No, 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 no. So I, you know, just kind of basically ignored him for the rest of that class, you know, went around and said, you ready to do it? And he, nah, I said, all right, you know, that's fine. It's your tree. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And um, shortly after um, 9-11, this kid who was no longer a kid, he was in his 20s, comes into the nursery and says he wants to sign up for bonsai classes. And it was this kid that was at the thing at the Huntington that didn't want to cut his tree or didn't want to do anything. <laughs> but, you know, we planted that seed back then, you know, 10 years before that or whatever it was. Yep. And as he got older, he decided he wanted to check it out. And he's been taking glasses pretty much ever since. Yeah, how cool is that? So, you know, stuff like that makes it all worth it, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, that that can kind of, like, make hundreds of hours of effort worthwhile. Yeah, and, like, you know, when we're talking about the shows and stuff before, too, I find that that's the biggest advantage of the shows is just inspiration because – a lot of the time people just say, oh, there's a bonsai show on, we'll go and have a look. And, you know, they're not into the yard or the, they don't do bonsai, have any trees of their own. But after they go to that exhibition, they come back and their minds are blown and they're like, wow, you know, that's something I want to do. And, you know, that makes, you know, because I, I always think, you know, maybe in bonsai exhibitions there shouldn't be a cash prize. It should be just more about the you know, wanting to inspire people, um, having the opportunity to display trees. Um, I think most of them are like that here. There's very few where there's actually, um, at least here, there's very few where there's actually a cast prize or even any type of competition. Most of them are strictly a display. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the ones where there are like a cash prize and stuff are ones where they're trying to not so much involve new people in bonsai yeah. but to up the art so to speak you know to to kind of make it more um a more artful thing rather than you know horticultural hobby kind of thing yeah it's kind of like the um the the martial arts that i participate in it's called shirinji kempo and it's actually from japan and their whole model is they don't you know, like Taekwondo tournaments and that where people go and, you know, they kick each other in the head and they get a medal for it. Um, you know, they don't do that kind of thing. They they have displays and you can go out and do a display and you can do like a choreographed um, fight, you could call it, with with a person and display that. Um, they, they do have a big show once every uh, four years, I think it is. Um and then, too, when, when you're training in the dojo, everything is about being equal. So even if, you, you know, you're always partnered up with somebody and 
you know, if you're practicing a technique on them, then they're helping you. And then at the same time, after you do that, you will help them practice the technique by being their, you know, their partner as well. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just love that model of thinking. And I find too that, um, you know, even working with students, sometimes they'll ask me a question and you know, I'll actually get something myself out of that. I think probably students have been, if not the biggest, pretty much damn near the biggest source of education for me. Yep. Because they definitely, um, particularly, and the newer they are, the more they make you think. Yeah. And, and the more they make you question things that you thought were, you know, kind of like established um, fact, because they don't know any better and they do things and try things that, you know, um, we might not do or try because it won't work. And damn it, sometimes it works, you know, um, or they make you think about, you know, explaining why it won't work and how it won't work. And um, they, if nothing else, they help keep you grounded in the basics. Yeah. It makes you better as a teacher. I think so. And as an artist. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I, and, I think that's one of the, one of my favorite parts of my job here is that when people come in and you just get to talk to them, you know, you teach each other things. You do. And, um, and for most bonsai people, um, it's coming from the heart, you know, and people realize that when you start talking to them, you know, you're not just talking to them because you see a dollar sign or because it's your job. Yeah. You're talking to them because it's something that's a passion of yours and something that, um, you know, you want to share with people. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, you're right about the inspiration and stuff at, at exhibitions. Um, I first discovered bonsai when I was 10 at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. Yep. The first tree I saw was this little, probably 12-inch tall juniper that was half bleached white and, you know, it looked like half dead and had beautiful green moss all over the pot and three branches with these green clouds of foliage and the sign said that it was a 225 year old sergeant general from japan yep that just blew me away yeah you know and if it wasn't for seeing that i never would have been interested but seeing that in person you know was the thing and seeing that there was something that was that small and that old and um just blew me away it still does to, to this day yeah you know, one of the things I like best is creating new, new, new bonsai from raw material. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome when it's a great piece of Yamadori, which, you know, I'm lucky enough to be blessed on blessed with quite a bit, Yep. but it's just as awesome sometimes when it's a piece of nursery stock. And in fact, maybe even more so sometimes because it's a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you get a nice piece of Yamadori material and it's pretty easy to make a good bonsai out of it. Yep. Um, you know, it's a little bit more of a challenge with a piece of nursery stock and I think it makes you um, more creative. Yeah, because you don't have that. Them. Well, you, you don't have that collected base to work with. Right, that built in hundreds of years of, you know, mother nature doing most of the styling for you at that point you know mostly what we're doing is refining it yeah 
So, so for the people out there, before we wrap up the podcast, um, where can they best find you and information on your nursery and any classes that you may run and probably also the Californian Bonsai Society? Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks for giving me the chance to mention that. All right, the nursery is kimurabonsainursery.com. Um, that's our website. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. Um, and you can find us in both of those places. Um, California Bonsai Society is CaliforniaBonsaiSociety.com. And again, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And our Instagram page is phenomenal. We have a guy that runs our Instagram, a member that runs our Instagram page that just took it from nothing up to, you know, um, I don't know how many followers or whatever we have, but it's pretty phenomenal and he does a great job with it. Yeah. So, and you can reach us um, there, the website or Facebook and both places, both the nursery and CBS. Um, we're pretty good at replying to messages and stuff like that. So. And what about to, where do people find the um, Ben Oakey scholarship? That would be on the California Society.com website. Yep. Um, right on the homepage, you'll see a banner for the scholarship and, um, entries are open until May 30th. So midnight, May 30th, you still got a little bit of time to get them in. And, uh, I just strongly encourage anybody that, you know, is interested to apply for that because it's not, it's not every day. Somebody's willing to give you a thousand dollars you asked to study bonsai. Yeah. And if, if somebody listens to this podcast and it's past that date, is that something that you guys run on a yearly basis or by? Yeah, we do it. We do it every year. Yep. Same time. Um, Same time, May 1st to May 30th of the entries period. And then we award the scholarship on June 15th. Okay. So maybe, you know, if, if anybody's listening to this past the fact, um, you know, maybe keep that date in mind for, for next year um and be ahead of the curve and be ready to sign up yeah definitely put it in your calendar get you know a little reminder next next may sometime submit your application um yeah we've given them to people from from the u.s from canada um last year one of the recipients is a guy that's now an apprentice in japan yep so um you know they go all around the place so like I said, they're open to anybody in the bonsai community. So. Yeah, that's an awesome opportunity. All right, we'll um, stick around because I think we've got some things to talk about. But um, thanks for coming on and giving your thoughts on bonsai and giving some of your you know time. As I said, we're I know what it's like running a nursery. It's go go go, busy and time's <laughs> hard to come by. So. <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Um, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. No worries.